And in this psychosphere, this mental atmosphere, there's all these ideas floating around, which sometimes is a way of explaining simultaneous independent discoveries. Welcome back. I am here with Dr. Bernard Beitman, who is an expert on synchronicity and coincidences. Dr. Beitman, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in this study of synchronicities. Well, I'm a psychiatrist, and like it or not, I get into helping people. And it's just my, it's what happened. Uh, maybe it was my mother. I don't know. I had wanted to make my mother a better mother or something. I think it had something to do with it. But I started having coincidences uh, when I was eight or nine. And some of them can be really impactful for people. And this eight or nine one was very impactful for me because I came home from school one day, ride my bike, and my mother was standing in the doorway of our house. And I thought I would see my dog, Snapper, hanging around in the yard, and he wasn't there. So I said, hey, Ma, where's Snapper? And I think she was ready for this. I'll never know why she said this, but she said, go to the police station. Maybe they know. And to this day, I like to ask people, why did my mother say that? I mean, it's it's all part of this whole thing somehow. It's one of the great mysteries of my mother. So I got on my bike, went back to my elementary school and went, went across this big road that everyone across because I knew the police station was on the other side. And I walked up the stairs after I parked my bike and pushed open the big door. And there was a big desk and a big man behind the desk. And I said, have you seen my dog? And, you know, I think about that now as a little kid walks into the police station and says, where's your dog? Where did you see my dog? I mean, it's pretty funny, but I was very serious because I wanted to find Snapper. And mm -hmm. my mother told me to go to the police station. <laughs> so I did what my mother told me to do. And the, the guy recognized that I was really desperate and said, sorry, son, I haven't seen your dog. So I went back down the stairs. And I was crying. I needed that guy. Uh, he was my best friend. The stories of boys and their dogs. I mean, this boy was true with this dog. I just loved him a lot. And he loved me. And I still start crying when I think about not having him. So instead of going back the way I'd come, I was crying a lot and just went back a different way. Instead of going left, I went right. And I was crying. And but then I looked up and there was this dog walking towards me and it was walking the way Snapper walked. Snapper had a funny way of walking. And I said, that's, that's the way Snapper walks. And it was Snapper. He was coming to me. And I was so glad to see him. And, and I'm still on my bike and he jumps, he puts his front paws on my legs. And as if to say, where have you been? I, I just thought that's what he was saying. Where have you been? So we went home. So here I went to the police station and got Snapper and I come home. Nobody asked me what happened. My mother didn't ask me what happened. But it was just like that's what Bernie did. went out and got Snapper at the police station and came home. I don't know what they thought. But that coincidence of taking the wrong turn, of being in the right place at the right time, of, of just following human GPS, I call it, or internal GPS, getting to where you need to be uh, without knowing how you got there. Whatever, there are a lot of different ways of thinking about it. But to me, mm -hmm. it was that we were drawn to be together again. We were looking for each other. And there's a basic principle of synchronicity is that what you're looking for is also looking for you. It doesn't happen all the time, but there are a lot of stories and I have them now in the Coincidence Project. I've started the Coincidence Project. You can go to the, our website, thecoincidenceproject.net, and see what we're doing. And stuff happens like, well, we, we just got our nonprofit 
thing from the state of Virginia, and a thousand bucks shows up in my mailbox from someplace. I don't know how she found out, but I, I contacted the woman who sent the money, and she ended up giving us another twenty-five thousand, which we needed to be able to do the first year. We needed money to pay uh, people working for the coincidence project. So that came out of nowhere. And then we had somebody on the website who was editing. You know, if you want to send us stories, if you want to be heard in some place about your stories, and you have a lot of people have them, and a lot of people think they're crazy because they have them and they don't have anybody to tell. I just got this Facebook message from somebody. Thank goodness for you, Dr. Beitman. I thought I was all by myself. I would tell people these stories and they thought I was weird. And I do stuff that was too efficient in finding what my boss wanted. But he said, don't be so efficient. I just was able to come up with stuff that he wanted that we needed and all kinds of other coincidences. But people thought I was weird. Now I found you. I don't feel so alone. And that's what we're trying to help people do is recognize that there's some weirdos out there. And I'm one of them. And us weirdos are not weird in the, in the current sense of the way word weird means. Weird in old English meant wise. Now, just think about that. Weird used to mean wise. You are wise. You are coming to wisdom that a lot of people don't have yet, but need to. So she's one of the reasons that we do the Coincidence Project, to make people not feel alone and be able to join with others on the third Saturday or every month at 11 o'clock Eastern Time a.m. We have the Coincidence Cafe, and you can join us in the Coincidence Cafe and tell other people your coincidence stories, and they'll go, wow. <laughs> And if you go to the coincidenceproject.net and you go to the section that says participate, you'll be able to register once and get an email and on your calendar every month for the Coincidence Cafe on Zoom. It's a Zoom meeting. And that link will be below for the website for the audience. And good. The link will be below to the coincidenceproject.net. Good. So you can submit your stories, as I suggested to this person, put it on our website, and at least somebody will see one of your stories. And I found an editor to edit the stuff out, and then she quit for various reasons. And so we needed some help. Two days later, this guy, Ken Bell, emails me and says, I, I know a lot about websites, and I'm an editor of stuff, and I can help get your ideas out because I create Zoom meetings, and you've got all kinds of capacities. So two days after our editor quit, we got somebody else who was even better than the editor that we had. So he was seeking us, and I was seeking him, just like Snapper and I were looking for each other. And there are a lot of instances like that. They demonstrate how we are connected with each other. Coincidences, synchronicity, serendipity, are here in your life to demonstrate, to illuminate the invisible currents that connect and unite us so that we can help reduce the damage we are doing to our planet and to humanity and to nature around us so that we can make this more like heaven on earth, which is possible instead of the hell that we're creating for so many people and so many animal species. And synchronicity is a way of showing us that we are interdependent and showing us how we're connected, to whom we're connected, and that we are connected to everything around us. But the experience of it versus knowing it, a lot of people say that we're all connected. No, you have to experience it experience these connections and experiencing those connections help you know in your heart not just your mind mm -hmm. that we're all part of something greater and what that something greater is sean you're interested in and we can get to that we can talk about 
there's something greater that I think that we ought to pay attention to, which I call the psychosphere, which isn't, the psychosphere is not the universe. The psychosphere is our mental atmosphere, kind of like our air atmosphere that we all, our minds are all part of. And our minds as being part of it is the way that these synchronicities happen, I think, at least a lot of them, through this mental atmosphere. But that's for a little later in our discussion. I was telling you how I got into this. And the reason I got into it was Snapper. And because I want to help people. I mean, I just noticed when people are committing suicide or on the way, suicidal, I'm supposed to do something about that. And humanity is on its way to do that. And I'm trying to be able to be the one of the many psychiatrists, psychologists we need to be able to do psychotherapy on humanity using synchronicity. Now, when did you decide you've been a psychiatrist your entire professional life? When did you decide to make this pivot into synchronicity or was it a slow, gradual process? It's both. It's both like a lot of things. They're both in. I've, I've had a lot of experiences with synchronicity. In my life, starting with Snapper, one of the big ones was 1973, February 26th, San Francisco, standing at a sink in a Victorian house, choking uncontrollably. I couldn't get it out of my throat, whatever was in there, but I hadn't eaten anything. It was 11 p.m., February 26th. The next day, my brother called February 27th and said that 2 a.m. Wilmington, Delaware time, 3,000 miles away, my father was choking on his own blood and dying. He bled into his throat. So while my father was experiencing his own death through bleeding into his throat and choking, I was choking uncontrollably. So I was experiencing something like what he was experiencing. Uh, I ended up calling that simultaneity, simul same time, cathody mm -hmm. feeling. Most people are surprised to find out that uh, the original name for feeling the pain or distress of somebody at a distance was telepathy, tele meaning at a distance, pathy feeling. But as we all know, telepathy has become more cognitive and has not been so physical or emotional. So I came up with a term to replace the original definition of telepathy into simultaneity. So that was a dramatic thing. And I wondered, I like to think I'm special, but in a way, each of us is special. Sean, no, there's nobody sitting where you are right now. It's just you. You're unique in that. Just like the people listening and watching us, they're unique in their own time and space. They're unique in their trajectory through life. But we're also very similar. So we are both unique, special, and a lot like each other. So we, it's hard for people to do that. They want to be special or they want to say, I'm just like everybody else. We're both. So if I experience something weird like that thing I had with my father, I wonder if other people, maybe they think they're experiencing stuff like this too. So that was in the back of my mind. I've had many other coincidences. Some of my favorite were on the football field. I like to say that I played football and that I was scouted by the Oakland Raiders. I don't look anything like somebody who that would happen to, nor do I look like somebody who went to a Pittsburgh Pirate tryout camp. And all of those were coincidences that led to each one of those things happening, even finding out about them. But scouted by the Oakland Raiders, I wouldn't have known except my mother came to the last game, my last college football game, hoping that I wasn't gonna be blasted her son getting hurt, and she happened to sit next to a scout from the Oakland Raiders who was complaining that he came to the game and I wasn't running very well. He came to watch me. I'd gotten hurt the week before, so I really wasn't running very well, but she heard him complain and heard the story, so she was able to tell me that I was scouted by the Oakland Raiders, and I wouldn't have found out about that if my mother hadn't been in the place that she was on the stands to hear that guy talking. So those, wow. are, those, are, those are some, those are, and there's other ones. So I've had a lot of them. I was a part-time hippie on Haight Street in the late 60s. What a great time to be in San Francisco in the late 60s. Uh, 
taking acid, smoking what we call grass back then. And there were a lot of coincidences around those days. A lot of synchronicities happened around there. So I've had a lifetime of meaningful coincidences, and I'm trying to finish a book tentatively titled My Coincidence Life, because starting with the snapper story to some of the ones that are happening now with all, a lot of them in between. So I've had a lot of them, but how I got into it, I became studying it formally. I became chairman of psychiatry at the University of Missouri through a bunch of coincidences, actually. And toward the end of my time there, after about 15 years, I finally could get around to formally studying coincidences. Because I was chairman, I had money, and I could hire some research assistants to create what we call the weird coincidence survey to ask questions like, how often do you experience the pain of a loved one at a distance? So we have a scale now that you can take at the coincidenceproject.net. Just measure your own coincidence sensitivity. How sensitive are you to coincidences? And the answer on that one was like, sometimes. We don't want that to happen all the time, that you feel the pain of a loved one at a distance, although some people are very empathic and may do that. But you can get a measure of your own sensitivity by going to the Weird Coincidence Survey at the coincidenceproject.net. From then on, I wrote, wrote a bunch of papers, did a couple of journal articles, and it just keeps going. And it's actually, I highly encourage the audience to check it out. I, I took it a few days ago, and I got in 44. <laughs> so it's kind of like, that's, yikes. Because I think above 43 is the, I think, ultra coincider or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you tell me a couple of years here so we can talk about yours, because that's a good way to do this. Well, all right. This is... I don't know if this is, I mean, you're the expert, so you can tell me, you can shoot it down. I'm the expert, and that means I don't know what, I don't know, there's a lot I don't know. That's what the, that's being an expert is. All right, so just throughout the course of my life, people I interact with tend to be in the thick of things at some point in the future. At least that's the only sense that I make of it. So here's a few examples. So I grew up like you in Wilmington, Delaware. I applied to all the service academies. I ultimately went to Stanford instead, but I was Senator Biden's primary nominee. Stanford is where I went to, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And again, Wilmington, Delaware, where you grew up. <laughs> well, I forgot you went to Sally's. I mean, you told me, but it's a lazy anim. Well, that's how I know you grew up in Delaware. You called it Sally's instead of. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't move to Wilmington until I was 11. So that story I told you about Snapper was in uh, Shaker Heights, Ohio. So Uh, I went to Edgemore Elementary School when I got to sixth grade. Where'd you go to elementary school? So I actually went to elementary school in Pennsylvania. I went to a a school called St. Joseph's. In Aston, Pennsylvania. Oh, a Catholic boy, Sally's. Yeah. Yeah. We played at the 18th at Van Buren once. Okay. <laughs> where, where Sally did. And I'm not going to tell you about that game. I, I messed <laughs> up on that one. We were playing Wilmington High. So, but we shouldn't be talking about this. Yeah, yeah. So tell but, me your story. Go ahead. Yeah. So I was his primary nominee for the Air Force Academy. He became, you know, as you know, the president of the United States. My thesis advisor. How'd you get Joe to do that? I just studied hard, had good grades. Well, actually, that's a great question. So I think, and this is long after, I had no idea about this, but I think the guy across the street vouched for me, and I think he worked on Biden's staff in some capacity. Where'd but you live? Again, I, Where'd you uh, live? in Dartmouth Woods. I don't know where that is. It's uh, on Naaman's Road. Yeah, okay. So, so this guy across the street could vouch for you. I mean, that's, that's the sort of thing that we look at uh, and don't pay that much attention to. But to have some do well at Sally's and then Salesianum, and then right. uh, go, the guy across the street knew Joe Biden, who could then give you a recommendation. That's the sort of thing that is not uncommon. 
being in the right place at the right time. It's, it's a common coincidence. But it, I try to get people to pay attention to these common ones because there's a lot of not so common ones. But that's a nice one. So why did you go to Stanford instead of uh, Air Force Academy? So West Point is the one I wanted to go to. And, and oh. I think Senator at the time, Biden, gave me the Air Force Academy because I had a lot of math and science, right? So I was taking like differential equations and stuff like that in high school. But I wanted to go to West Point because I wanted to go into the Army. My eyesight wasn't good enough to fly aircraft. So I went ultimately to Stanford because when I went to West Point, I wanted to take more math courses. And one of the advisors there said, oh, you'll have to retake calculus and do all this stuff because I'm like, I have like two years of math, right? Why would I want to retake it? And then I went to Stanford and you've been there. <laughs> I I went to visit and it was there was no going back. I mean, there was absolutely <laughs> no going back. It was a no brainer. But that's why I went to Stanford and I was able to get two degrees. If I had gone to West Point, I would have gotten one. And Where'd you get your degrees in? Electrical engineering and history. That's a good combination, actually. It's a weird combination. They have like nothing to do with each other. That's why that's a good that's because they do ultimately have something to do with each other. Interesting. And being able to find out how such weird things have a common thing because you're doing them. So there's something in common starting with you. It becomes a question. For me, it's been less of a thing, but to, to be being, as I mentioned, to be a star athlete in high school, I made all conference, uh, Blue Hand Conference in football and in baseball. I won a batting title in, at Mount Pleasant. And I was uh, fourth or fifth in the class academically. So I tended to put the scholar athlete thing. That was my combination of things, which is kind of weird, but some people do that. Now, you've done electrical engineering and history. And that you have a bigger challenge in how that comes together, but they're both extremely relevant to the study of weird stuff. To understand electromagnetism, just to start with, is extremely important because each body has an energy field around it. And it's not just an aura. We mingle auras with other people, and that needs to be better understood about how we do that. I feel it with people. And I know it's there and dancers know it's there. So being able to modulate and understand and measure the electromagnetic activity between and among people is very important. And with plants and with trees, electromagnetism is a way of understanding the ways in which we are connected with each other. When you say you studied history, well, that's a lot of, you didn't just study history, you studied some element of history. You, you couldn't do the whole thing unless you did prehistoric to the current political environment. I doubt that you did all of that that's in between. So what did you specialize in history? Modern European history. The, the white man, the, the white supremacist thing. So how did, have you been able to notice how Western European white people became white supremacists? Have you been have seen the history of that? I mean, it's just in terms of the Germans in World War II, but I'm sure it stretched it's prior before. to that with the British, with the British and way before. Interesting. Way before. And and you did modern, but one of my patients gave me a book and I looked at it some, but it has something to do with the agricultural potential of Western Europe. That if they could grow more stuff and feed more people, and that's all I remember, but it becomes something that would be very useful for you to in in look into to try to see where that might have come from. But what was your interest in Western European history? So I was going to be a military officer, so I was interested in the military history portion of it, kind of World War One and World War Two. I didn't delve too much into both, but enough to understand that history well enough to kind of see the echo and what we're seeing right now in Russia yeah. and Ukraine, Yeah, which uh, we're talking about, Sarah, here we go. So when I was in the military, I spent time at the National Training Center where I was an expert on Soviet doctrine and tactics. I was a red team. So when the invasion happened, you can look back at my site 
during that period of time on the YouTube channel where I predicted exactly what Putin was going to do. Like exactly, not like he was going to invade. That was obvious to me, but like he was going to go for a knockout blow in Kiev for this reason, that reason. He was going to use these forces here, and now I didn't predict exactly how well the Ukrainians would do, but I thought the war was going to be over in six weeks, was which was much longer than U.S. intelligence thought it was going to last. But I was still wrong. But having had that experience. And then you want to add another coincidence to that. Back in 2017, I also write short stories. I published a short story on Vice Media. There's a site called Motherboard. On that site, I wrote a short story about U.S. Special Forces in eastern Ukraine fighting Russians. And then I also published an anthology with my publisher called Weird, there it is again, Weird, World War Three which was an anthology of short stories, fictional science fiction short stories about a world in which we had gotten into World War III with the Soviet Union. Russians, not Chinese, not right. But again, that was published in 2020. And then, you know, we all know what happened historically. So there's, you know, I can't, I can't say that's precognitive or anything like that. It's just a very weird, odd coincidence. It's called precognitive. Precognition is sometimes being able to see trend lines, but you have to add a little something to it of your own ability to imagine. So there's the ability to see the trend line, which you could do, but there's also you add something. And this precognition is a combination of being able to see things without much information or combination of having information adding something to it what did you specialize in electrical engineering what was your focus signals <laughs> <laughs> right which is oh, waveforms there's, no and... there's no relationship <laughs> between predicting and elect signals okay okay well we're waveforms waveforms <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting there. So when you say signals, you mean waveforms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like Fourier analysis, digital signal processing, fast Fourier transforms, Laplace transforms, you know, all that sort of stuff. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but underneath the signaling is uh, sine waves. 100%. That's what Laplace transforms are, right? You're trying to combine exponential functions with sinusoidal functions, right? Or I'm using the wrong wrong terminology, trigonometric, trigonometric functions, right? And that's where the real meets the imaginary realm, right? Where you're in electrical engineering, they called it phasers, or it's, which is a simple shorthand way of doing Laplace transform. Same thing with Fourier transforms. What a Fourier transform is, is you're taking a waveform in the time domain and getting a representation in the frequency domain. Yeah, so it's it's transforming. I mean, that's what it is. Uh, I'll just stick with it. Uh, because when you want to know what's going on here, because you're a seeker for what's the nature of reality, I'm glad to hear other people use that phrase, that one of the underlying patterns of reality is the sine wave is, is mm -hmm. expansion and rarefaction of sound, the way electrical impulses move, colors are all a sine wave manifestation. We only see a small band of the electromagnetic frequency and radio waves. And some of my favorites are the Schumann resonance. Are you familiar yeah. with that? You, you like that Absolutely. One? Yeah, it's it's not 8 hertz, but it's close to 8 hertz. It's close which to is also, Which is also alpha wave, uh, brain waves, which I don't think is a coincidence. <laughs> well, I, I've written about that myself. The Schumann resonance was 7.8 hertz, but it seems to be increasing. I don't keep up with that one, but why is that frequency increasing? Well, for new age folks, they'd say the vibration is rising, right? Okay. I, again, I'm, I don't know what that means, but... But it, all we know is that it is. And what you yeah. say, it's it's alpha is around... Alpha 
waves of the human brain are around the same. But even more importantly, I think the, the human brain is about 4.3 hertz to about 50 hertz. And mm -hmm. the Schumann resonance has resonances with it, where the basic resonance is 7.8, but then it's got resonating patterns that go up to about 50. So the brain and the Schumann resonance have very similar frequencies. Yeah, in terms of, in terms of the upper harmonics, right? Of the upper harmonics. Yeah. In terms, yeah. that's the right. Yeah, upper harmonics. Now, I think maybe for our audience, if they haven't left us already, they are. They, they are <laughs> no, they're find, loving this. They're loving this. I guarantee they're loving this. this. They like this stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah. This the, the Schumann resonance. Why don't you explain the Schumann resonance? At a very basic level, it's the resonance of Earth's magnetic field. Right. That's a very simple. I don't of know it. if that is wrong or right, but I can describe how it happens with the resonance of the Earth magnetic field. I can't resonate with that one yet, <laughs> but maybe you're right with it. I just can't go either way. But there is the Earth crust. And then there is the upper ionosphere. The ionosphere is filled with ions, positive, negatively charged particles. And because it's so charged, it helps screen away the ionosphere, a lot of the more deadly versions of the sun's rays onto our Earth. So we, we don't get blasted by some of the, I forget the names of the, the sun's negative potential on us. So that's the ionosphere. And the ionosphere goes up and down in its distance from the Earth's crust, mm. depending on the time of day. So let's just say here's the ionosphere, here's the Earth's crust. And what happens in between these two places is lightning. Lightning strikes often in the ionosphere, like I forget, 100 times a second or something all around the world. It's pretty fast. And all this electrical activity creates a sine wave. Mm -hmm. And this creates a frequency that goes around the Earth in a sine wave form, the human resonance, as it's called, with its various harmonics, goes around the Earth. So in this cavity between the ionosphere and the Earth's crust is all this electrical activity. Now, I'm suggesting that it's not just electrical activity in this area. This is also a place that contains our mental atmosphere. That in mm -hmm. this, because our brains are resonating with the Schumann resonance, it's too hard for me to imagine there's not a connection between the two. And you're familiar with the phrase, as above, so below, and also as below, so above. Mm -hmm. Why do we have to go to outer space? Why don't we just do what's right up right on top of us to talk about what's above and what's below? So our brains grew up thinking in the Schumann resonance. And so have been resonating with it and all its activities. And through it, I think we create uh, a mental atmosphere of ideas and emotions, ideas and feelings, ideas that we breathe in, that we also breathe out. Like we breathe in oxygen, we breathe out carbon dioxide. And in this psychosphere, this mental atmosphere, there's all these ideas floating around, which sometimes is a way of explaining simultaneous independent discoveries. Mm -hmm. And there have been hundreds and hundreds of people in different places in the world coming up with the same idea. Why? Because they reach up, they're seeking like you into the psychosphere and they grab an idea that's floating around and bring it down. But somebody else is doing the same thing. And then they say, oh, look, I discovered evolution says Darwin. But then a guy named Wallace, also in England, wrote about the same thing around the same time. But Darwin got all the publicity. And it's who gets it there first to the press that gets the publicity. And that's true of a lot of things. There's a lot of experiences, a lot of things like calculus was discovered yep. by multiple people. Oxygen. Leibniz. And, yeah. yeah, you got it. You got it. There's lots of those. So I'm saying these ideas are floating around out there and seekers who want to 
feel a need of the planetary people here and are looking for something floating around out there that's evolving as part of our own minds and then grabbing this stuff and bring it down. Hey, look what I found. Is this part of Sheldrick's morphic field theory or is that slightly different? Morphic fields are a subset of what goes on in the psychosphere, I think. He's describing much more clearly than I am doing now. I'm more spacey in the way I describe things. He's a very good detailed-oriented scientist. And the idea that he's had with morphic fields and morphic resonance is that if some bird learns how to peck open a bottle of milk back in the 30s someplace in London, some other birds over in Spain are going to figure that out faster than they would have. Mm -hmm. It says the idea gets transmitted in the morphic field and the other birds pick it up. And that's how he thinks. And that's what uh, the psychosphere is somewhat like that, that the ideas can be floating around out there and different people pick it up around the same time. Now, do you think the primary mechanism for this is electromagnetism, or do you think there's some other? And the reason I ask this is I know that the folks at SRI looked at this in the 1970s, where they would put Ingo Swan, where they put him in a Faraday cage, and then he was able to still figure things out. What's your take on all this? Well, yeah, and they put something down in the bottom of the ocean in a Faraday cage. And just so our audience knows, the Faraday cage will inhibit electromagnetic currents from getting into it. So the idea being that telepathy, clairvoyance, and remote viewing was also part of this. That's related to clairvoyance, but they argue about it, but something else. That the Faraday cage did not prevent Ingo Swan from noting what was in the cage. So that it didn't seem to be electromagnetic. And it doesn't fade with distance, which is what you'd expect with electromagnetism. The information further away should be harder to get. And there's been the Rhine Institute and telepathy, they did the same thing. The distance didn't seem to make any difference. And distance and does not, make and, and neither did time. And then neither did time make a difference. But I'm a, a guy who still likes having my feet on the earth. And I like to be able to explain things in kind of our earthly ways of thinking about things, which is that there may be some other way in which this communication takes place. For example, the big problem in quantum mechanics, as you know, or not problem, but everybody loves that the electrons get entangled with each other. Make the electrons entangle with the other, put one way over in Mars or further away. And they've done it with millions of miles away somehow. And I don't know how they did it. I didn't see it. But if you reverse the spin on one, the other one's going to reverse its spin. Or, uh, instantaneously. So you, you instantaneous. solve the communications under the constraint of Einsteinian space-time. Right. Yeah, right. I signed in space time. Is it's that, like Orson Scott Card's Ansible, basically, from his book, right? I don't know that one. So, uh, it's really quick. Ender's Game, there's a communication MacGuffin that he came up with called the Ansible, which allows people to communicate instantaneously, regardless of distance. But that's just quantum entanglement, uh, you know, just, subsequently. Yeah, yeah, same idea. So, a lot of people love that quantum entanglement, Feynman. I like that he said... I couldn't make quantum mechanics into an introductory course. So therefore I can't understand quantum mechanics. And I think people who try to make the metaphor of entanglement, like what happened with my father, the choking with my father or telepathy or all kinds of things where things seem to happen around the same time. It, it's such a wonderful metaphor of instantaneous communication. But I think we can explain some of the things with my father without having to go to quantum mechanics. I think we can go through the psychosphere through mm -hmm. which we are connected. And the entanglement is instantaneous. I don't say that it was instantaneous with my father. It was simultaneous. It was around the same time. You know, So you don't have to have it stretch up to the big people thing versus the teeny things. But it still raises a question about time and space and how they're related. And I know somebody who's written a book you might want to run your program, but they talk about one world and it's able to put 
Einstein and uh, quantum mechanics together. And some people have been trying to do that. And I, I prefer to think still as a separation, but we've got to be able to, the space between probably has a lot of information in it, but that's all yeah. a lot of speculation. I prefer to stay with what's observable. And the Schumann resonance and the similarity between our brains and what's going on in this psychosphere, you can't get away from that. That's descriptive. And so I stay with that description. And I think we can explain telepathy through the psychosphere in this way. Telepathy or like with my father is when you have uh, a close relationship with somebody. Say you're right down here on Earth, on on the earth's crust and you you are entangled emotionally and that's where the word entanglement is so attractive in mesh sometimes you can use but the entanglement is there your emotions are involved with each other and it's not a bad term that's why it's such a seductive idea of the entanglement particles so you're entangled here and i make a hypothesis that each of us has a higher self. Now, a lot of people have the higher self being God or some angels or some aspect of yourself that's inside of you, kind of, and it may be in you and maybe outside of you, but I'm pretty literal. I'd rather say we got a higher self. <laughs> and it's like a balloon coming out of my head that goes up into the psychosphere that has a better perspective than I do down here on Earth for, about what's going on around me. So if you tune into your higher self, you say, hey, go this way instead of that way. Sometimes it works out pretty well. So that's why you can say, I tuned into my higher self and then this happened and I'm glad I did it. Well, maybe it just has a better look than what you got down here. And once right. you com communicate with it, it helps you. What do you think of that? No, that's consistent with, so the DIA did, I don't know if they did a study or they were sending remote viewers to this program called Thought Incubation. And part of it was when you, it would leverage the power of your subconscious and dreams. So if you had a particular goal, the night before you went to sleep, you would you put your intention, write it down on a piece of paper. What question did you have? And it, there's a whole science around it. Like you have to be very specific. Otherwise, your subconscious really isn't going to help you. But if you did it right, you'd wake up with the answer. And the person I interviewed on this was Dr. David Morehouse. He was part of the Stargate program. But it's one of the programs that the DIA sent him to. The other thing, too, is like in every field, of you can call it the woo, you can call it the unknown, the weird, whatever. In every area that it touches, there is this concept of higher self, spirit guides, source, what have you. But it is almost as if we're part of a greater reality that we don't see. We're intentionally limited here, potentially to learn lessons if you read Dolores Cannon, you know, kind of the earth school philosophy or whatever. But there is, if you ask, again, I'm sounding new age and I'm trying not to. There's actually a really good book. And, and if you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend it. But it's called Stalking the Wild Pendulum. It's by Itzhak Bentov. It was written in the 1970s. But it is the best book I've seen that attempts to reconcile quantum mechanics with Einsteinian physics and the paranormal, in a sense. And the aspect of it that's, I think, most interesting is there's a constant at which, a certain length, that the Newtonian laws of physics break down and quantum physics begin. And that's the Schrodinger's cat. It's both alive and dead and things like that. And he talks about a pendulum. When you swing a pendulum, there's a point at which the pendulum hits that length, blank length, that's what it is, at which it's both not there and everywhere all at once in all time. And I think that time is an artifact or a constraint of our reality here. But I think when you talk about this higher self-concept, 
it's not bound by that constraint, the constraint of time in particular. Now, again, I'm seeking, I'm trying to figure out what's going on, but quantum mechanics does provide some clues. It doesn't provide definitive answers, but I think we're closer in terms of how we shape reality, right? The double slit experiment. Whereas if you are looking, observing that electron going through, it just goes through. But if you're not observing, it has a waveform potential, right? Where it, it's a probability distribution waveform of probabilities, which is why when you look at the screen, it has a displays a waveform instead of a single dot, which is if you were observing the electron all along. So in some sense, we shape reality by choosing that path before it goes through the slit. Anyway, that's a long meandering answer to your question. Was, I have to admit, your meandering is a good adjective for what you just did. And I was listening for the parts of it where you were talking about the higher self. Because that's what I was listening for in there. And what I heard you do was say, among other things, higher self and source are the same thing. And Maybe. I'm, and I'm saying, <laughs> let's separate them out. Source yeah. is like, who knows? Right. It, it's like everything and nothing. It's nothing and everything. I mean, we, ha we have trouble with, with those opposites, which are there. We have to be able to do these polarities of nothing and everything. I mean, one of my favorite things is the word nowhere. Also, if you break it down, it's now here, N-O-W-H-E-R-E. -E. So you get what you're just saying. It's, yes, it's everything and it's nothing. In the word nowhere, it condenses what you just said, depending on how you break mm. up the word. So now here versus nowhere is like, okay, what you just said. <laughs> uh, and all I'm doing is saying, let's say that there is a psychosphere and that we're just running around on this planet trying to figure out what's going on. And th there's a higher source. The universe is all one. And everything is all one. And nowhere in time doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. Like we're gonna have Over to here, stop. Right. We're gonna have to stop talking in a little while. For example, time <laughs> time makes a difference in how things work here. So I'm just literally saying this higher self is in the psychosphere and mm -hmm. can tell me to go left versus right if I ask it. And there's ways to ask, and that's one of the points you made. But in dreams, but you can do it in walking around in the hypnosis of regular life too. You can go into a state and wonder can I get a little help right now and people do that and and they ask is this like my handler or this like my uh, angel guiding me I don't know I don't can't tell the difference sometimes but I'm saying there is a self of yours that's in the psychosphere connected connected to your mm -hmm. mind now and now what we haven't talked about is what's mind and brain and I don't hear people asking that question often enough. They talk about mind and talk about brain separately, but well, it, it's settled. It's all in the brain. It's all. <laughs> yeah, it's settled. That's, that's it the isn't. problem. It, right. it, it right. isn't there. To me, they're different vibrational intensities. The brain is, is slower vibrationally. The mind is higher vibrationally. And the, it's all part of the same general idea of vibrations around us. And this is a tighter vibration, but there's still a way in which there's a coherence between brain activity and mind activity, which is still best thought of as, again, frequency differences that resonate with each other. And it's just too simple a way of thinking about it. An electrical engineer would easily be able to visualize as I think you're able to do. And you're able to, just because you're able to recognize that I'm able to see it, say it more clearly than I have before. So this is you and me resonating with each other and my picking up how you're thinking, because that happens over Zoom too. So I'm just saying there's brain, there's mind. How does mind get information to the brain to tell me to move my fingers? These are very free will and how much we have and when we have it is a critical part of all this. But that's all these questions I'm raising now. All I'm saying is we have a balloon-like thing above us that can see what's going on with us. And if we're connected to somebody else emotionally, it doesn't have to be somebody you know. I've heard stories where you don't know the person, but a lot of times it's like with my father, it's with a parent and a child that my father is suffering this choking 
and his higher self is communicating to my higher self and my higher self then tells me that my father is communicating with me because the day of February 27th, then where my father died choking on his own blood, is also my birthday. My father died on my birthday. And so that made it yet even more likely that he was thinking about me that in a way that has gotten me to say, my father, Carl Biden, was saying, remember me, Bernie, remember me. And I'm remembering him now in telling the story and using how my relationship with him made connections between our higher selves possible so that I could pick up what was going on with him 3,000 miles away. I think that's probably the most appropriate point to end the story because that's extremely poignant, my friend. Extremely poignant. Thank you. So thank you, Dr. Beitman. I appreciate your time, and I thought that this is a fascinating discussion. Well, you were right. <laughs> you, you Sally's guys. I didn't know there. Were, I didn't know there were any smart people at Sally's. That's my problem. <laughs> There's smart people everywhere. There's smart right. people everywhere. I mean, we we had such a feeling. Anyway, that's another thing. We better stop. <laughs> it seemed like a different world. I know where. 18th and Van Buren, I know, I know where that is, or around there, across from the park. And it used to be a mystery place for me. Like, Catholic? What are they doing there? <laughs> and they had a pretty good football team pretty often, but we yeah. never played them in anything. Oh, I'll tell you why. Are we, okay. we in the interview? So thank you again, my friend. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this video please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new.